1: It's time for another episode of Tennis Channel Inside In, part of the Tennis Channel Podcast Network. I'm your host, Mitch Michaels, as always, from the Santa Monica studios. Thank you so much for listening to this week's show, where we've got a couple heavy hitters ready to break down all the action from the North American hardcore swing. First up, it's going to be Mark Petschy, the longtime, well established, well esteemed broadcaster, former player, former coach. He's Got a lot to say about the start, the city open in D.C. where the heat's a factor. We talk about Nick curios's brilliance, the women's storylines as well. and Kanye in there. Uh, a lot to, to discuss with him and some of those tweets to go over as well. But we're going to discuss a lot with Mark Petchy and then my good friend on the show. Love talking to her. Blair Henley is coming back to discuss her time emceeing the hall of fame what that was like how she's become a tiktok star the content she's put out the interviews she's had we break down that san jose women's tournament headlined by a firecracker of an entertaining match between coco golf and naomi osaka and we look ahead to what this summer hard court swing has in store it's mark petchey and blair henley on tennis channel inside in and it starts right now All right, now joining us on Tennis Channel Inside In, broadcaster for the good guys here now, <laughs> former top player as well. in his day, you got in the top 100. I'm not going to downplay that. Uh, it's Mark Petchy joining us. Mark, thanks for joining. First thing, I didn't realize this till recently, but you're getting quite masterful on Twitter as well.
2: <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah, I kind of have my own kind of way of dealing with yeah. it. Um, But uh, I I think it's an important medium. I think it's important to have a voice. I think not always are you going to love the answers that come back, but I think
1: it's important to be true to yourself. I uh, I do have one gripe to pick. It's the 1812 tweet that you had <laughs> about the Americans. I thought, and, yeah. I
2: thought somebody <laughs> might get triggered by that. I, I, uh, I, it's you. Sorry. Yeah. yeah.
1: <laughs> the last time that many Br- – the D.C. tournament this week, the last time that many British people were trying to take over D.C., it was the War of 1812. Uh, it might be a little too soon with the whole White House thing, but no. It was uh, –
2: <laughs> I thought too, yeah. I thought 200-plus years you might have forgiven yeah. us, but okay, think,
1: clearly clearly not. Still some sensitive moments <laughs> okay. for sure. Um, <laughs> but uh, You look ser- good for your age, by Thank, the way. Yeah. It's, I'm, I'm hanging in for for two uh 220. But no, in all seriousness, I think it's good. You have a nice medium where it's funny. You're mixing in analysis, too. And, and it kind of segues into my next question here. Do you think that your ability as a player has helped you kind of be different stand out as a broadcaster because you are one of the rare play by play guys that played the game at a high level?
2: Yeah, I, I do think so. I think um, I think it's a good question. I I think a lot of my failings as a professional player, which unfortunately that's how I perceive it. Some will say, "Well, you made the top hundred and an eightieth in the world is a great mm-hmm. achievement," and you beat top tenners. Uh, I personally struggle with that whole concept. But what it did do was it pushed me very hard to become a very, I, I feel diligent coach. I'm not mm-hmm. saying I'm the great, yeah. you know, a great coach, but I'm a diligent coach. I'm going to give yeah. you everything that I know. I'm going to go out and learn from a lot of different places. So. Yeah. That has helped me in that regard, which has then obviously filtered
1: through to my broadcasting career. Right, and I think pointing out certain things, like I saw the, the comment, the thread you were on with the serve and how yep. difficult that is to change. That's something that I don't think casual fans or even diehard fans really pick up on, but someone that's a coach play and played might know this is a really t- difficult thing. It's tough to change.
2: Yeah. And I, uh, you know, and I think that has helped me, um, having been sort of at the coalface trying to work mm-hmm. with various people, very different people, Maria Sachary with Andy, mm-hmm. with Emma for 10 months during COVID. Yeah. Um, you know, uh, I, I think that those sort of things made me realize how difficult this game is and, and how difficult it is to be a coach to make fundamental technical changes. It's one thing to do things tactically, but to kind of fix uh, Zhang Jiang serve, that's that's a that's a three month project yeah. every single day of your life. And that and, and is she going to be brave enough to take that time
1: mm-hmm. off tour to fix something that I think might stop her from winning majors. Do you find yourself, we're gonna do the last question on your broadcasting thing, but do you find yourself having to talk in normal terms to the rest of the population like as an expert and this is a color commentator question too but having to explain in general terms to people that might not know as much
2: well i feel here on the tennis channel there's a lot of great people watching that know tennis that love tennis and they are kind of our core sort of base Mm -hmm. so i don't feel like you need to go too light with it because i do think they generally understand the concepts that you're talking about i am very aware in fact one of my litmus test people is my father-in-law he's 80 years old (laughs) yeah he loved tennis his whole life when i do hawkeye graphics he's like oh it looked amazing mark i don't understand a thing about it so (laughs) i i do realize that at times we've got to filter things out so that people we we try and obviously broadcast to the
1: masses well it's working so far for you and for others that are able to kind of just bring that expert analysis and also talk in a way that's entertaining and people can understand we're at an interesting time in the tennis calendar with the north american hardcore swing starting it got its unofficial start last week in atlanta and i just want to touch on that tournament first Alex Demonor defeats Jensen Brooksby. Demonor is somebody that has been streaky. I think it's fair to say he's also had some hype on him. Much of it is deserved. This was a big result for him. He wins it again, his second time winning it. He, he went out early in D.C., but I just want to get your thoughts on Demonor, what the ceiling is for him going into this point where he's been in the top 20 for a few years now.
2: Yeah, I mean, what, what's what's Alex's ceiling? I mean, I think he's a top tenner at some stage. I think there's definitely been players that don't play the game as well as Alex that have made it. Um, they're not as fast as him. They're not as determined as him. He's had a couple of bumpy years. He's another great example of somebody that was a fantastic player very early on in his career, um, but doesn't have, you know, a Riley, Apelka serve, doesn't have a Rafa Nadal forehand. You know, so he's got to find out a way to, not, to, to break through what you've just talked about, a yeah. ceiling. And how does he make himself effective to get to the world's
1: top 10? He, he will, and he's on, on the way now. I actually think that in best of five, he can be very effective at making those breakthrough wins, maybe even more so than some of these elite best of three because of his fitness level. I,
2: I, think, I think it's a fair point, but yeah. I also think that, that one of the problems with the best of five for somebody like Alex is that yeah. it's tough for him to win easy points. That's true. So, yeah. so he has to work exceptionally mm-hmm. hard for a longer period of time, whereas other people that have right. killer shots can actually get
1: through the first few rounds in, in double quick time. What do you think separates at this stage in his career, Jensen Brooksby from some of the other peers? He's he's at thirty seven. He's made his third final now. What's kind of distinguishing? He's got a, definitely an unconventional game, but what separates him?
2: Um, yeah, that the unconventional game, the uniqueness of it, his attitude. He doesn't care about anybody. Really yeah.
1: doesn't, and I love that. <laughs> um, I know it's going to trigger people, but no, I, I'm with you. By the way, yeah. the, the TFO thing. Yeah, the the celebration thing. Some people think it's like the worst thing yeah. ever. I, I I understand why. Francis yes. would not be happy yep. with it, but I mean, it's, Brooksby doesn't well, care. I, That's I, pretty clear. Yeah. And I get Francis <laughs> yeah. and Francis
2: shouldn't be yeah. happy about yeah. it. Great. Get on the court next mm-hmm. time with Jensen and get like, he looked fired up against Chris last night, man. I don't know. You know, Francis is awesome. We love him. Yeah, yeah, uh, yeah. Can't, can't, can't say a bad word about him, mm-hmm. but maybe, maybe that was maybe the moment for him to become just that little bit edgier where yeah. it's going to get him across the line. Cause he's got a game with semi finals of a slam <laughs> for sure.
1: Yeah, uh, absolutely. I think I think the game is there. We, we've seen it. Uh, I think Brooksby is somebody that is unconventional. I'm curious to see how he makes adjustments when players see him again. Also, just the stat to throw at you, didn't you, 0-4 against lefties on the ATV yeah. tour. Interesting to kind of monitor there.
2: Yeah, I think, again, his serve just doesn't get him enough free points. I think it's not mm-hmm. a bad serve, but I yeah. don't think it's a great serve. Right. Um, and I think that, again, that is something that he's going to have to kind of figure out a way to get a few more cheaper. I don't care what you say. Like, there's, there's more Isner's, Apelkas Nick Kyrgios' That there are Schwartzman and Sebastian Byers, and it's, it's hard out there if you don't get three points. I, I, having worked with Andy twice, I know how much emphasis he puts yeah. on a first serve, even for somebody
1: that returns and moves right. as great as he does. Brooksby being six four, obviously versus Demonar is going to help yeah. him if he can put the work in. But I agree, the game has gotten even taller in the last ten yeah. years. So. A lot of bigger points there i know we mentioned the hard court swing i do want to just they're playing all over the world there's a a clay court clay court swing last week too uh the the umag final in croatia alcaraz and center i mean this is this is going to be a rivalry down the road i think it's a safe bet to say and i do think that center winning this tournament they played now on all three surfaces centers beating him on grass and clay alcaraz has the win in hard court but this to me was more center good than alcaraz bad
2: totally yeah, I mean, uh, Yannick hits that when you hit the ball off both sides like Yannick does, <laughs> you're going to have great wins. You're going to you're going to yeah. be anyway. We saw it at Wimbledon. We saw it against Novak for a couple of sets. He, he, the only thing that's lacking really at the moment is experience. Yeah. You see Yannick serve how much it's changed in the last 12 months in terms of the technique on it. He's done some great work in that department. That was always going to let him down. It wasn't going to be his attitude. Um, it's a
1: great rivalry. It's going to be awesome for all of us. We, lo- we love watching them play. He is just so solid on both sides. It's insane. And Alcaraz was, to be fair, a little hobbled. Had the ankle roll, I think, uh, of the round before.
2: Um, yeah, but one pointer, One point in tennis. One I point. Know. He breaks
1: at two love. Yeah, it two or three break points there? Three break points, three points, break in, points. in a row. Wow. Yeah, yeah, it's crazy how it fast it goes. You were talking it's, about yeah. that yesterday in the uh, Jack Sock-Cressy match. He had break points up a set in the second and then... 100%. 100% there. Um, no, and looking at it, I mean, Alcarez, there's no reason to just... The, people overreact on everything in sports, but no, no worries I couldn't there. believe it. I mean, <laughs> yeah. I genuinely couldn't believe it. On one hand, you're talking about yeah. Yannick Sinner, who's nearly knocked Novak out of Wimbledon.
2: Yeah. And then people are a bit down on Carlos, like because he lost to Yannick in the final of
1: Umag. I'm like, I'm like, what sort of alternative reality are like, people living in? What would people in the social media age think about, like Roger Federer's, like? one well, year run after yeah. beating he Sampras Lewis Horner at, yeah. two, at the French Open 2003 beats, he, this
2: guy's a bum
1: <laughs> yeah, exactly <laughs> he beat Sampras at the 2001 <laughs> Wimbledon Championships yeah. and doesn't win another major doesn't win his first major for two years yeah what's the, guy,
2: what's the guy <laughs> he, 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 get him on the scrap heap yeah. he's never going to be anything yeah. uh, I, it's, it's just so quick to judgment to, right, right, right. to be
1: judgmental
2: about players that are on such a fast trajectory mm-hmm. I mean there's other people out there that are wasting their talent and I'll tell you what it's not Carlos Alcaraz.
1: No absolutely not uh, as we get into dc i mean there's a lot to talk about with this city open and, and you mentioned him earlier nick Curios, talk, nick nick here he's i mean what he did against tommy paul last night was close to a virtuoso performance tommy paul's playing the best tennis of his life into the top 40 on the way up and curios just handled him with ease and i don't know mark if it's maturity if it's just he's kind of accepted where he is but I'm noticing that he'll still have those moments of tweeners and stuff, but he's more selective of when he does it. It's it's kind of funny. Like he did the hot shot, but it was on Paul's serve when it wasn't a big point in the match. I feel like Nick, dare I say, is growing up a little bit.
2: <laughs> <laughs> You're allowed to say it.
1: Uh, no question. I think we're going to see some catastrophic matches still from
2: Nick over the course mm-hmm. of his career. Yeah. Uh, I think we're all going to have to yeah. accept the fact there's going to be moments where people are going to go, that felt unacceptable. But right. right now, where he is, the quality of tennis that he's put on the court in Washington After coming off the back of that file in Wimbledon, very few players have done and would have done. He has carried that momentum and the passion and the desire and the focus. And you've just had said it, the quality of tennis, take away the tweeners and all that. The way he's played
1: in general so far in Washington has been unreal. I don't really know of anybody else currently, obviously, that red lines are served so well. The first set last night, the first set against Novak at Wimbledon. I, I don't know if there's anything you can do on the other side. Just don't get broke, apparently. Yeah, exactly. you got to just yeah. kind of hold yourself. Like, we, we've said it for a number of years yep. with Nick. Uh, and in
2: isolation, it's one of the top five serves of all time. Mm-hmm. Yeah, okay, he hasn't won major, so how do you say that? Bottom line is, just in isolation, it's one of the best serves
1: of all time. His toss does stay similar. You oh. can't read it. It's it's pure, and he doesn't. I mean, yeah. that, that's been his downfall in the past, is the second serve, he just goes for too much, but... I mean, it was it was disgusting, and I think he's clearly the favorite in this tournament. And we're just hoping that he builds on that Wimbledon run. That's the thing is, Looks can like he it. back it up? And it, and he's passing all the tests so far. Uh, that was wild. The other story with the City Open is kind of the weather conditions because it's been <laughs> it was I think it's 97 today with yeah. like 40 percent humidity. It's it's getting hotter as well, isn't it? I mean, they've
2: actually been a little lucky with the humidity yeah. to be honest. It can yeah. be even a little more brutal yeah. in Washington right now, but yeah, 97 is is tough um you know with the extended rallies the physicality yeah. of it but you know it's it's a it's a good test you know new york does get rough you know with the roof now uh, on the ash yeah, yeah. you've got to get used to go back to the johnny millman roger federer match Oof. when roger was sweating for the very first time didn't well, didn't wasn't a good look for Uniglo the first time no. he put the kid on no. and he looks like he's like no. in a sauna the whole night but this is a great bit of practice for everybody but um but you know that this is what the guys train for
1: more with Mark Petchy here on Tennis Channel Inside and in as we talk City Open, uh, that match yesterday, talking about the heat and the conditions, but I got a kick out of watching Cressy play, he wins, he, he bagels Sock, in the third Sock was dealing with some stuff too, we, we can obviously say, yeah. but... I like people that are different and that frustrate opponents in sports in general. And you can clearly see that when you play Max and Cressy, you don't get your rhythm against them. Yeah, he's a disruptor, <laughs> isn't he? And yeah. in a sport that doesn't have any out-and-out serve and
2: volleyers, he's going to be tough. Because how do you practice against it? How, mm-hmm. do you, how do you go and learn in practice to go and play? You've got to actually call up Maxim and said, hey, can I come down for a yeah. week's practice? I mean, yeah. he, he needs to be selective who he plays against at times because he doesn't want to give an insight into to how they can beat him.
1: Yeah, that's true. I mean, he's got, we'll see what happens. This will post after the Rublev match, but I could see Rublev getting agitated. We saw 100%. Medvedev get agitated in Australia. Uh is somebody that's that's done really well with what he's brought to the game. There's been some upsets and some struggles uh, at the top of that list is Dennis Shapovalov. Yeah. Australian Open makes a run. Pushes Nadal the five sets. Since then it's just been not a good year to say the least. What's wrong with Dennis right you, now?
2: Yeah, I mean obviously the changes came after Rome. I mean, he beats Rafa in Rome and then yeah. he loses to Casper and then he goes on this horrible run that he's yeah. in. I mean, it was a strange decision to not work keep continue the work with Jamie Delgado. Yeah. Um obviously that seemed a bit a bit bit strange the way it all kind of fell apart. They were they were very happy in Miami and then it kind of just drifted. And I think that puts a little bit of pressure in Dennis's mind as well. Like why did I do that? And 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 all those things. And listen, when you hit the ball as hard as Dennis and you try and play as aggressively as Dennis, if you don't pack confidence into that racket bag stepping onto court, things can go wrong, particularly with the light balls that they have over here in the States.
1: Oh, that's a good point. So it's significantly lighter over yeah, here. I, I yeah, I tweeted yesterday yeah.
2: that if he played with the Wimbledon ball, he'd be top five. I mean, it's a completely different oh, wow. ball. Like it's, it's you know, chalk and cheese. And um, so for, you know, any actually greater humidity, the ball flies more through the air because it's actually less dense. Yeah. So therefore he actually needs to either string his rackets tighter in that moment or actually swing a little softer. So there's a lot of nuances with Dennis's mm-hmm.
1: game to play well in these conditions. He definitely doesn't seem like he has a lot of margin for error, the type of way that he plays. And not saying that emotional players are bad and that in a lot of cases it can even propel you to do better, but there seems to be issues at times with him handling his emotions something will go bad we saw it in i I forget what tournament clay court tournament was where he got into it with the crowd booing him and it just seems like in the jj wolf match a little bit too he gets kind of frustrated and it kind of goes sideways from there
2: yeah and that's also about expectations on yourself because you're expecting to win that match Mm -hmm. you know and and suddenly you're in a bit of a, a barren spell which he is right now and obviously that is the art of the great champions, even when they go through this, they find a way to get through it. He will get through it, you know, like whether it's with Jamie Delgado, with it's Peter Polanski, you know, Dennis is too good to come out of it. The question is you just don't want to be in this kind of, you know, void for too long. And and also he needs to figure out a plan. He needs to figure out what his best game is consistently. And then between that, then he's going to ride the peaks and the troughs. But at the moment, I think most of us sit there and watch him and go, well, what's, what's the game plan here what are your chess moves in mm-hmm. the first four points of the uh, the first yeah. four shots of a rally and i don't think we're quite clear on that it's such a mental game, isn't it? Like it, it's, it yeah, it is. <laughs> you know? It is mental, but it's also it's yeah. also strategic. It's why yeah. we all love it. It's why it's yeah. the best ball in the world because it's yeah. moving at ninety miles an hour, and and you've got to figure out how you put the ball in a place
1: where your opponent doesn't want to see it. Right? Is that stat about like the big three? they they're not the percentage of points they're winning. It's not. It's like fifty something. Yeah. Like it's a couple points here or there, but it's consistently big points. Figuring out a way. Well, on that note, which young players could still be in it? Maybe just bounced do you see as making a move in this tournament Holger Rune is still in it uh, Michael Emir making, yeah. making that run which is kind of insane too
2: yeah nice to see as well you know like what a guy uh, yeah. what a what a great competitor doesn't have a huge game but what a change he made it's in fighting. the match with Andy he suddenly yeah. hits 37 winners and yeah. suddenly I think a little bit of a light bulb went off for him that he's able to, to make that kind of a adjustment um, you know I'll tell you the person I'm as impressed with right now is Taylor Fritz I mean I don't know how he's going to go today while we're doing this yeah. little podcast but but, you know, the reality is the guy's hardly hit a ball since Wimbledon because of the foot problem that he's had, and he's out
1: there, and he's crushing wins. I mean, Taylor's year is is impressive. Setting a break right now as we do this that's, against Evans. That's insane. He's a, it's, it's insane. <laughs> Consistency's been the thing. I mean, he's he's talked about it. His coaches, Paul Anacone, yep. and they've talked about it, and they're getting to a point where he is consistently I – mean, it's not even a question at the top of the American level, and it's what can he do from How here. How good is
2: American men and women's tennis right now <laughs> yeah. as well? It's exciting yeah. times, though.
1: Sebastian Court is another name we didn't mention, and uh, yep. I thought the Baez match could be tricky, and he handled him pretty good. So Yeah, and, he, and he came off a pretty sort of low-key part of the year, you know, with everything that's been going on for Seb. So,
2: you know, the fact that he turned it around so quickly in Washington with a couple of quality wins, and it doesn't take much, as we said. You can lose a match within a point, like Alcaraz in, in Umag, and you can certainly turn your season around in one match, and I, I wouldn't be surprised if, if uh, Seb goes on a pretty, pretty strong
1: run in the next few weeks. Before we search to the women, I do want to ask you, because you mentioned the Emer win over Murray and you got to work with Andy, and I know he's still out here grinding and battling – does that surprise you, as someone that knows him, that at this point in his career he's still fighting? No, no, not at all. No, he'll
2: be fighting his whole life. But I mean, he won't be fighting <laughs> yeah, on the court, but he'll be fighting yeah, something. Yeah, okay, he'll right. be fighting anything. <laughs> yeah. But listen, Andy's always wanted to pull the best out of himself. He loves this sport unconditionally. Um, anyone, if you've been around any of the great champions when they yeah. first stop, so, some do step away. I mean, it's not a, a whole. It's not one size fits all. Right. But for the most part, they still love the game so much that they still play anyway. Right. And that's the thing that's driving Andy. But it's also just personal pride you know he he believes that he can get back in the world's top 10 and and you know it's going to be a tough road for him but the reality is that that's what's pushing him and and one thing
1: he will be able to look in the mirror at when he stops is the fact that he gave it absolutely everything he had yeah, he's at a point where obviously he doesn't need it his resume speaks for himself but still be out there fighting with as we've said a hip that'll set off the alarm at an airport it's <laughs> pretty remarkable and it just shows you that the love of the game does trump all and he's putting it to work a lot of people say that but this is him proving it
2: yeah i mean it's not going to be easy for him taking the kind of hits that he has done i mean obviously it was a tough loss to john who played so well at wimbledon but there was a big run opening up for andy at wimbledon this yeah. year that will have been disappointing and then obviously this loss as well you know and against public you know as a Couple of tough ones that, at the moment, that I'm sure will be causing him a little bit of soul searching. No. But the sport's better for
1: Andy being on court competing, and I hope he stays around for as long as he can. Absolutely, and he's not—you know—he's losing tight matches. It's not like he's yeah. getting yeah. hit off the court, which is the big thing. Yeah, he's top fifty. I mean, it's an amazing yeah. effort with a medal here. Insane. Uh, a couple quick thoughts on the women here: uh, Emma Raducanu, yep. British—you know—major champion at the U.S. Open last year, he has uh, is fighting now up as we record this against Osario, and uh, you know has had a lot. Did she take the opener? Uh, let's take a let's take a gander, yeah. shall we? Might yeah, I as mean well. she was she was four one up when I last looked and looking pretty good, but then Osario no, was starting. Oh, well, actually, take the you know, five four up. Osario, but a break point for Raducanu. Okay, so yeah, a little we're a in little a will we'll, yeah. know when this posts, but yeah. But for Emma Raducanu, I bring her up because she's gone through a lot. Winning the U.S. Open at her age, the way she did it, remarkable feat. Um, again, pushed the expectations quickly to the forefront. There's been changes in the coaching life and everything that's happened with her, how do you see her state going into trying to defend her crown? It seems like an impossible task, but where she's at right now as opposed to maybe a couple months ago.
2: Look, I I, I think that this year and the next year were always going to be tough. I mean, I said so, and I believe it, and nothing's changed my mind. I always th- thought there was going to be a huge amount of turbulence and a change mm-hmm. of life. And, you know, and also you've got to remember where at, where Emma was coming from, pre-Wimbledon, The you know, she wasn't even getting given... You know, a, a main draw wild card. That's mm-hmm. how she was perceived in the UK. She was only mm-hmm. going to get a qualifying one. She won a couple of matches in Nottingham and then they upgraded it to a main draw. So you've got to understand where the base was, where yeah. people were perceiving her. Um, having worked with her, I thought she was 100% due when I told them that she, they should give her a main draw wild card. So that's the base. That's where she started from. And then you got to think in two and a half months later, she was picking up the US Open title. That's madness. Without you dropping know, a set. Without <laughs> dropping a set from <laughs> Qualies. So that's madness. Yeah, yeah. And that is a. You know, that is something that nobody could have planned for, could have, no one could have said, listen, let's get some safeguards in here about what we want to do going forward, because it was so unique. Yeah. So the reality, reality is I see it, Mitch, and, and and talk about it. I always thought this would be a bumpy year. I always thought she would struggle. I always thought it would be very difficult to kind of get close towards you because the expectation would right. have been too huge. And there's stuff in a game that still needs to get better. Um, as a tennis player, mentally you can see she can handle it. But obviously, tennis-wise is more important for me that she becomes a better tennis player to compete with the eagers and, and yeah. everyone that's out there at the moment. So and people are going to work her game out. Give her till twenty twenty for the middle of yeah. 2024 and then come back and we'll, yeah. we'll have a look at what
1: where she's at yeah she's like what 22 then i mean that's still yeah. not even yeah that's the thing is i think a couple bumpy years and just also learning to be a professional. She hasn't been I just a pro. Hope the love of the game doesn't get kicked out <laughs> yeah. of
2: her in the next two years, you know, where people like right. where she's having to answer all the questions yeah. and getting like, this is a bit tiring and I'm a bit bored of, of yeah. doing this. I would like to see a bit of stability in, mm-hmm. in the team. I, I do think this whole coming in and out, I think it's too much for her. I mean, I, I get that you're an independent and you should be independent and that's your, your role as a coach is to actually coach yourself out of a job because they should be able to handle everything on the court if you've done your job well. But I think it's
1: been too many. Well, she broke back as we were recording. There we so there she's listening to you. But I agree. And I think Australia, you know, the, it didn't go very deep for her there. But hearing the reports about her back on the practice court after a loss, I think the love's still there. I agree. I hope we'll see what happens going forward. Um, same with, like, you know, somebody else who's struggling. Hope we see her back is Sophia Kennan, yep. who hasn't really, you know, has, had, has gone through a lot recently a grand slam champion just kind of goes to show you that, you know, your wife changes and it's not always for the better when you host that first trophy.
2: No, you know, and again, it's all about the people that are around you. You know, you got to hope that you got a great team. You got some great voices. You got a lot of love in there as well, because you know, you know, you're going to, you're going to have to pick yourself up a lot of the time and you got to have a lot of people yeah. that understand why you're having to pick yourself right. up. It, you know, when you look at even the great players, how often they win to how often they lose some of these major tournaments, yeah. you know, it, it's a tough, it's a tough sport. For Sophia, I just hope she gets back fit and healthy. I think that she's she's a good six months away from being in a place where we can
1: really judge where she's going to be out. So my final thing will be this going into the, you know, the build up to the US Open on both sides for the women's perspective. Who are some players that? Because we're looking at it like there's Iga, but you know, Rebekina, Rabiakina wins Wimbledon, loses first round. Kasukina,
2: like, she's got a chance. The yes way Kina, that she's, top she's ten player. Coco for yeah. me
1: has got a great chance.
2: Naomi, look, I thought obviously we've got the big match tonight while we're doing yeah, this, yeah, yeah, but, yeah. you know, Coco against Naomi. But I thought Naomi looked relaxed for the first time in a long time. I think having a dad back is going to be great. She's going to be dangerous there. You know, yeah. she's got to put. You can't be as great as Naomi and not make another,
1: you know, point to everybody just how right. great you are because the right. pride just kicks. And she's too good. If Coco gets that forehand more consistent, yeah, I would. I mean, athletically, some of the balls she was. But she was making they were Alcaraz like Co- in a lot of ways yeah. Coco, Coco's going to be fine yeah, everyone yeah, just needs again just to kind yeah. of give her some space but she's yeah. going to be fine she's, she's up there is another one too I think yeah, and I think Maria's obviously own,
2: finding a little bit yeah. you know like that that window
1: of opportunity as well for Maria
2: you know like she's been knocking on the door now yeah. that can also cause some problems one thing to get there and then suddenly you've got to kind of like get across mm-hmm. that line and she's been she was close last year a couple of times and I'm sure that's playing on her mind a yeah. bit you know there's a lot that these players are dealing with it's not easy out there Mitch. it isn't
1: I am <laughs> I'm definitely sensitive to that. Uh, I just think the men's side too. The last thing there is, it's so uncertain going into this US Open. Not sure what Djokovic Djokovic's status is. Nadal entered into Canada, but what's the form going to be? Or I mean, I could go down the list. Are the Russians going to be ready to come back? Medvedev and Rublev and Nick Kyrgios is just floating out there. Yeah, it's so great. it's it's great as a tennis fan because this is the most unpredictable u.s open on the men's side i can remember going in
2: yeah in a hundred percent you know like obviously i think we'd all love to see novak there but obviously rules are rules mm-hmm. you know if your kids want to go to american college like mine they didn't have their mri you know mmr mm-hmm. so you know we had to give it to them mm-hmm. and you know you got to yeah. kind of follow the rules but you know so from from novak's point of view. You know that's that's obviously the situation he's put himself in. I'd love to see him there. Um, Love to see Rafa fully fit, obviously. But you're you're right. I again, I think the the, the guys have got to be looking at the, the U.S. Open and going, I, "I've I've got a good shot." This
1: Rublev is, Rublev is a guy. I, I I think he's due. This has been the one tournament I know the big three and big four of, oh, but this has been the one tournament that there's been some deviation on. Chile yep. Stan, you know, yep. team like so. This could be the chance for Alcaraz. Yeah. Are, are you telling me Roland Garros hasn't had a lot of deviation over the years? <laughs> no. it's it, Wait, doing the
2: Rafael Nadal Invitational? That's yes, what I'm calling it? Exactly. It could be the eager invitation yeah, for, for the next
1: 10, 10 years as well. Uh, Mark Petchy, this was a blast. Thanks for coming on the show again. Now a reoccurring guest. Uh, have fun. You know, maybe tone down some of the American jokes on Twitter. But <laughs> okay, no. I promise I will. I'll uh, give you guys some love. Thank I'll you promise. for joining the show. Appreciate you. Thanks a lot. Always a pleasure talking to the one and only Mark Petchy, a, uh, a titan in the broadcast industry. Always enjoy chopping it up and learning from him. And uh, all kidding aside, make sure you give him a Twitter follow. It's uh, definitely informative and entertaining. So props to him. Can't wait to chat with him again. Now we're going to go to the second guest on the show. It's Blair Henley. She's had a wild year. We recap all of it in terms of the content she's put out at Indian Wells, what it was like hosting, seeing the Hall of Fame ceremony a couple weeks ago in Newport, Rhode Island. And uh, we talk about the San Jose tournament, Osaka, Coco Golf. We kept that match. We talk about Annie Samova, as factors, and what to expect—or maybe to expect the unexpected—from the lead-up to the U.S. Open. It's Blair Henley now on Tennis Channel Inside. In. All right, now welcoming in on Tennis Channel Inside in guest on today's show. Uh, Blair Henley you can find her literally everywhere across the tennis landscape Uh, it's been a lot of things going on since the last time we've talked Blair one of my favorite guests on the show thank you for joining I know you've been staying busy and I appreciate you fitting time in your schedule to chat with me here on inside in
3: um that just made my day that I am among your favorite guests Mitch. it's always a pleasure good to be back
1: It, it, I, the pleasure is all mine, believe me. And uh, I, we have to talk about it 2022. It's been a breakout year for many, a real breakout year for yourself too. Uh, We talked in, in January before the Australian open. And since then, there's been a lot to catch up on. And I want to just go over some of the hits. I can't fit it all into one, but boy, okay, there's a lot of different ones. Let's start with the uh, Dallas indoor tournament. You're hosting there. A former city, a former president is there and you're, you're just, you know, interacting, mingling with, you know, one of the less than 50 people that have run this country.
3: That I talk about experiences I didn't expect to have going into my week, working as an MC at a tennis tournament in Dallas. That was, that was one of them. Um, He, it was former president George W. Bush, big sports fan, likes tennis. And uh, he, I mean, gosh, it was, it was really, really neat to have him there and he took the time to say hi to everyone from the ball kids to the janitorial staff, literally so I he, he was just it was really nice to have him there and uh, bonus that I got to give him one of our giveaway towels and not get tackled by secret service in the process. So yay me.
1: Yeah, we were worried about that. I know we're pretty close, closer than most get to the president. Um, Another thing I wanted to bring up is uh, Indian Wells, a lot of Indian Wells content out there. But the pre hit, you got the exclusive interview. One of the more insane things I've ever heard into a microphone was the interview with Paul Bedosa. So if you want to just I mean the, the the countdown is on. Like that's that's all I'll say in in terms of that interview.
3: Yeah, no kidding. Well, I I plan to see Paula in Cincinnati, and that will be the first time I've seen her since the the incident in question, where at tiebreak tens, you know, I was working with Andrew Krasny, and and he always jokes around with the players. He knows the WTA players in particular very well, and he was joking about. Is Simona being newly married and, uh, you know, said something to Arena Savalenka about, about her boyfriend. That's generally territory that I stay away from. Obviously, tiebreak Tens is, is loose and, and fun and, and more relaxed than most uh, tennis platforms. But, uh, you know, I just threw out there to Paula, and she could have said anything. I said, you know, we've talked about, you know, married life or Simona, Arena is in the market for someone you know, anything personal you would like to share with us tonight. It wasn't necessarily yeah. boyfriend oriented. I, she could have gone anywhere with that. And she decides to throw up her hand and, and say she is waiting for a ring to be put on said hand and pointed to it. And I, I, I was kind of shocked. The crowd laughed. We all enjoyed it. And then afterward, she said, oh, he was watching, and he texted me right away and showed me her phone with the text <laughs> from was,
1: her boyfriend Juan. It was serious. That was the thing that was – it was like a deadpan look into the camera. It wasn't like a laughing – <laughs> exactly,
3: exactly. but there yeah. is no ring as of yet. I plan to get an update on that yeah. in Cincinnati. so feel free to check back with me yeah. on uh, Paula Badosa Ring watch.
1: We will. That, that's on the top of the list. Um, <laughs> the biggest thing from Indian Wells for you and the TikTok video, I have to bring this up and for those of you on oh, the God. video podcast, we're actually going to try to put some of this splice some of this into the episode. But you did impressions with California Love in the background because it's said Indian wells of a number of of a uh, different type of tennis players at the pro level and knocked it out of the park as an understatement it was uh, a hit across the boards first of all where does the genesis of this come from I know you've dabbled in this a few times but the attention to detail specifically you're very very well versed in the tennis world and it showed in the impressions of all these players
3: Oh, man, it was I actually went back and forth on on that and you can appreciate it. I did one. I I did something similar about a year before a little over a year before um, during the Australian Open quarantine where you know it was it it was so i mean thinking back to that can i mean remember when Mm. there were zoom calls and there were players leaking what was said on zoom calls and everybody is stuck in their room for for two weeks (laughs) some are getting out for a few hours a day some are not everybody's upset there are mice there were so many things happening and i i at that moment was just i mean there were so many caricatures of of tennis players happening uh, in australia that that was sort of when i first dipped my toe in because it was just hopefully it was one of those (laughs) those incidences that we will never see again in tennis but it was just so bizarre that that i was like you know what there's some content here to be had
1: how long did it take to put together i mean if you can pull back the curtain a little bit in terms of just the production side of things
3: well for for the australian open one i did most of it in this little office that i'm sitting in now and um my husband and my daughter's like saw me walking by with like props um so like a mustache on <laughs> a colander to use as the coupe de musketeer. Oh,
0: well,
3: yeah. <laughs> i i had many a prop because you know you had to make this room work for multiple different players. Um, I got some raised eyebrows from my family Mm -hmm. and definitely had many thoughts of, I might be too old for this, but it was the love of good content and different content that won out. And that was what inspired me to Uh, dust off the TikTok account and do it again before Indian Wells. And again, it's a fine line because in what I do, I never want to be seen as making fun of anyone. Um, And so it's just more pointing out those things that the players are known for. Riley Opelka loves art. We're going to have him staring at some art on the grounds at Indian Wells. Or Cam Nori is the most faithful zinc sunscreen user I've ever seen in my life. And so these are things we know about these players and we love about them. And so I always try to stick to the know and love category versus no. And sometimes, you know, scratch our heads. Did you hear any about yeah. those exist as well?
1: Oh, yeah. Uh, did you hear any feedback from any of the players that you put in the video?
3: <laughs> um, probably the one I heard most from was was Chris Eubanks. That, that was, was the quick. best
1: one. That, that, I'm going to pick my shot here. That was the best one.
3: He was, he was very thrilled uh, to be involved and, and sort of in including Chris, I also included Naomi and Coco and Serena sort of peripherally. And I can tell you that two of the three thought it was hilarious, Naomi and Coco. Coco told me to my face, she's like, I love the TikTok and uh, via Chris, I know that Naomi also got a kick out of it. So I will take that as all the positive feedback I will ever need in my life.
1: Such a funny video. I encourage everyone to check it out. Uh, And just kind of going off that you've kind of occupied or you are occupying a unique lane in the tennis world. You're on court emceeing, working the Hall of Fame event, which we'll get to in a second, putting out some video and some content as well. Did you see yourself kind of in this lane in tennis? It's different. It's all your own, which is good. But this is something that, you know, you are kind of a, a trendsetter in a way.
3: Well, thank you. I don't know that I see myself that way, but I definitely always want to push myself and push those around me, sort of the gatekeepers to trust me to try to do different things. Um, Because it's just so funny, even now looking towards Cincinnati, and obviously I'm gonna be there doing some of the digital content for the Cincy team, but I'm also helping out with digital content for the USTA team. And there's going to be a tennis TV team there and WTA Digital is going to be there and ATP, their production um, group is going to be there. And and that's just the official entities in in the game. That's not even including anyone else who might want to come in and create some sort of content, any of the local outlets. So it's it's becoming much harder uh, to do things that look and sound and and are different, um, and it's it's hard in the social game. I mean, you know, yeah. it's like you're you're only as good as your last idea, uh, and and just trying to figure out. You know, uh, for instance, I'll just give you a look at at what we're we're pondering for Cincinnati. We did a concept last year there um, called compliment cards, where we had players on the ATP tour compliment players on the WTA tour, and vice versa, and. At the time, I was thinking to myself, how are we gonna get this past the people who say yes and no to these things? First, the comms teams on tour and then also agents. And thankfully there's, there's I think, a little bit of trust there and and the people on yeah. the ATP and WTA comms teams were like, like, I don't, I don't really get it, but you can give it a shot. And then once they saw it in action and thankfully it worked and the players bought into it, yeah. And everybody was on board, but but sort of thinking of something like that and then convincing other people that it's gonna work. Cause you have no idea. That is the one thing that I've learned from doing social content. You could have something that you think is a brilliant idea that falls flat on its face and nobody sees. And you could have a one-off, it's not even a segment. It's something a player does when they, I don't know, are sitting down in the chair to get mic'd up or they can't mic themselves or whatever it is. Mm And that could be the thing that gets, you know, hundreds of thousands of views on social media. And so there's just no recipe for greatness. And so really, you know, trying to sell something that I myself don't know if it's for sure gonna work, uh, that's scary because then you feel like, you know, if people doubt you, then you feel like you better deliver. And so this year in Cincy, I, you know, thinking of it, like say you go on the Jimmy Fallon show there are certain segments uh you know the wheel of voices or what's in the box or whatever it is i believe that's a fallon one as well yeah um there are certain segments that they have where players can come in and they sort of know what's expected of them and and they have fun with it and so this year i think we might actually do a couple more compliment card segments because last year there were a players a lot of players who weren't in cincy and b we didn't necessarily shoot high, high, because we didn't know how it was going to work out. Right, right. So now that we know that the, the players seemingly enjoyed it, had fun with it, got the concept, um, we thought, you know, there might be more legs here. So I think we might do a few more of those. And so it, it's trying to figure out, like, do we try to reinvent the wheel this year? Do we try to make a slight adjustment to something else that's worked? It's just, it's a, it's a lot of throwing things out there and just seeing what sticks.
1: Building up that equity, though, gives you the opportunity to try stuff and have, you know, agents or player reps be like, ah, I'm not sure if this works, but we trust you and what you've done. Yeah. So yeah. Sometimes they
3: say that, sometimes <laughs> they don't. Uh, but yeah. I appreciate the times when they do. Yeah.
1: Well, I, I just appreciate all this stuff and different content creation. Keep up with the Instagram uh, story time. What would it be? Story time lessons. I'm referencing <laughs> like the Harmony Tan doubles drama yes. at, at uh, Wimbledon, just to kind of let casual fans or just people that are checking in at tennis in the majors or different times, the behind the scenes drama. So that was a good lesson. A couple Instagram stories slide there explaining the beef and the drama.
3: Yeah. Sometimes there are just stories that I'm like, this needs to be shared with the greater sports worlds. People who might not otherwise care about tennis. And I don't know in general, I feel like tennis, I wish tennis did more of that. And I don't, again, I don't know. I don't have the solution. Like what's the best way mm-hmm. to do that? I don't know. Yeah. Um, but I do think I'm definitely on the train of sort of marrying the broadcast world and the digital world just a little bit more. Yeah. I still think they are largely two very separate things in a lot of people's minds. And I don't think that they have to be.
1: No, I agree. I think it's, it's a tough, complex issue. It's not really there's no real manual on how to do it, but any way you can kind of blend it, it's good. And you also have to kind of keep keep your uh, you know keep the uh, value of anonymity. Like the the Billie Jean King Cup party, I know you put the video up of them dancing, jumping around, but I'm sure it got even more crazy when the cameras went off. So they probably <laughs> were good that you I, didn't share everything.
3: I have no doubt. Yes, there's always uh, an element of discretion involved yeah. for sure. Yeah.
1: More with Blair Henley here on Tennis Channel Inside In. Well, well let's talk about the Hall of Fame a couple weeks ago. You uh, were MC of the event itself on the uh, court for on-player interviews. Uh, Leighton Hewitt was enshrined. The tournament itself just wanted to start there. Top 10 player in Felix mm-hmm. shows up. Andy Murray, future Hall of Famer by all accounts, shows up. So the event, the tournament itself, has, was bigger and better, uh, arguably, than any iteration of it in the last couple of years, so that had to add some juice to the grounds as well.
3: Uh, as Stan Smith likes to say about how the courts in Newport used to be, and I quote, "They were an embarrassment." Okay, and of and, and, and listen, right. if Stan if Stan yeah. Smith says it, it must be true. Yeah. Uh, but it, and all the players will say too. You know, if you were coming to Newport two years ago and beyond and and again my experience there's only what six about six years um you had to come in with a certain mental outlook you were going to get some bad bounces you probably weren't going to there weren't going to be a lot of great rallies Mm -hmm. um you just had to come in knowing that now that they have resurfaced the grass it is it is no joke it's really fun tennis and i think to even with like an Andy Murray who has a metal hip, having an extra week on grass for a lot of players is something that I, that I think a lot of them are, would have enjoyed prior, but now are considering it because they've heard, Oh, Hey, they've got some great grass there. Now. Yeah. Um, That was the first thing that Felix said to me when I, when I asked, you know, and, and obviously there are things that happen behind the scenes that make it more uh, appealing for players to show up at various tournaments, but a great surface and and good grass and a great location. I mean, Felix lost uh, his opening match and ended up staying in Newport four plus extra days. So I I think that more and more top players are going to find that an appealing tournament to go to much to the dismay of some of the other lower ranked players who sometimes snuck into the main draw in Newport, who might not have that chance going forward.
1: Did you uh, end up, you know, you and, uh, Bublik going to get Chipotle after the event? A oh or my something? goodness.
3: I, it does not matter how soft the softball that yeah. you lob yeah. to Alex Bublik. He will find a way to, uh, I don't know if swing and miss is, is the way to describe it. He, he maybe, maybe a foul ball, you know, into somebody's noggin in the stands. <laughs>
1: I, <laughs> yeah. I feel like it's like a, he's just gonna, he's going to go his own direction. Like everybody's running track one way. He's just going to go the other way. Like he's he, on his own path. the,
3: the, he's swimming upstream that's for sure um and and that's the way he likes it um I will say from my perspective I have to be on my toes and I think I I I mean I did three interviews with him he was booed in two out of the three and and guys I'm not asking (laughs) hard-hitting questions out there was that the
1: trophy presentation because that was a little spicy too
3: uh, yes, I was not counting the trophy presentation because I did not actually ask any questions there, but, but yes, yeah, so really, if we're counting that, it would be three out of four where, where things maybe weren't as, um, you know, buttercups and roses as they could have been. Um, and I don't know, some, part of me feels that he doesn't have to be quite that contrary. Uh, a little bit of, of the, you know, I'm happy for somebody to have to go their own way, to march the beat of their own drummer, but, but there's also a line where it becomes maybe slightly less enjoyable. Usually yep. that's enjoyable. That, I mean, I, I love a player who is unique, uh, but, but there is a line where it becomes maybe less, so if yeah. that makes sense.
1: Yeah, he is one of a kind, and I know there's good and bad with that, but uh, definitely something that adds another element to the game. Uh, What was the actual weekend like in terms of Leighton Hewitt's induction? Did it have an Aussie feeling? Uh, Seeing his legendary coach come in and surprise him was good. What was the uh, enshrinement process like in the weekend, like honoring uh, Rusty into the Hall of Fame?
3: Uh, It was It's just it's so special every year and I can't remember somebody was saying this at it might have been Todd Martin um, might have been Brett Haver who was hosting but what what makes it in part so special is because so many other Hall of Famers come to celebrate like if, if you didn't have all of that you know if you didn't have Stan Smith coming back even though he's not the president of the Hall of Fame anymore he stepped down at the end of last year Tracy Austin or Andy Roddick going up on stage during the enshrinement dinner and like breaking down matches with Leighton Hewitt. That is so cool. And there's just nothing like it. I, it's so funny. I ran into a fan who uh, won a contest in 20, at the beginning of 2020, picked the ATP Cup bracket and won a ATP Cup bracket contest, won a trip to the next year's Australian Open, obviously could not go and they said what other tournament would you like to go to and they he and a friend picked the hall of fame open and not only did they get to go to the tournament they got to go to the enshrinement dinner the That's induction smart. itself smart. it was a brilliant choice and he was like this is so much better than than the australian open would have been for two random guys walking around the grounds and it's because the access and yeah. the history and it's just, I can't really describe it, but all I would say is it's my favorite week on the tournament calendar for a reason. If you have a chance to go, you have to make it happen. There's just no place like Newport.
1: I, I couldn't agree more with that. It's uh, it's good to see. Uh, we'll see who the in, inductees are in the next couple of years because it might be a little tough, but we'll have to see. The last thing on the hall of fame. What kind of game does Kirk Cousins have on the court?
3: Uh, so I have to say he has a 92% forehand game is how I would <laughs> okay. describe All right. it. He's a
1: quarterback. He uses, you know, the right arm. So <laughs> there you go. But I did think it was pretty cool to hear him say that that's a training method. And, and, you know, he acknowledges, look, I'm not the most fleet of foot, you know, compared to NFL athlete wise, but tennis has gotten him to a point where he feels better about his fitness.
3: Yes, I loved that and I love, you know, he said considered basketball but the the injury risk was too great. So listen, I think it's it's fantastic. There have been other players along the way. Um Dirk Nowitzki was one who famously played tennis in his off seasons for as a part of his cross training. Um and listen, anyone who's played tennis at a, at a decently high level yeah. knows that it's it's intense especially in the summer. So yes, I saw a whole lot of forehands. Um he moved pretty well though. He looked like a tennis player on the court, which is more than I can say for for some crossover athletes. Yeah. And I love I love any sort of crossover action. A+.
1: I feel like that Michael Scott clip where you're like, "Oh, you know who else had a forehand heavy game? Rafael Nadal, Juan Martín <laughs> del Potro." So uh, I love it. It's good. It's good to see. Well, as we kind of segue into the current tournaments, the summer hardcourt swing now is finally really upon us here. We've had Atlanta last week, D.C., San Jose, uh, Los Cabos this week. Uh, we're going to spend some time talking about San Jose, but I just wanted to mention the city open, and, and it's insane today with the rain outs. There's just tennis all across the ground. It's hard to keep up on what round it is. But how excited and optimistic are you looking forward to this really crash course run It's only about six weeks and then we'll five, six weeks and we're going to be all the way through it. So it's going to, you know, it's zero to 100, as the kids say right away.
3: I love it. I love that I can turn the TV on at just about any point in the day and there will be some tennis. My kids love that. Um, They know that they don't ever get to watch TV while they eat. (laughs) except for when there's tennis on. And so, of course, they're like, is there tennis on? And I'm like, as a matter of fact, there <laughs> is always, tennis on yeah. today and there will be for the next, you know, six or so weeks. Um, no, so I think it's the absolute best. It's always interesting sort of at the beginning, some players are, are still playing their first few matches back after taking a little bit of a break. Always interesting to sort of take the temperature as far as levels are concerned. Nice to see Naomi Osaka back, who... Honestly, for the time she was away, played, I don't, it shouldn't surprise me at this point that she can come out and play really competent tennis after taking
1: (laughs) weeks
3: and weeks off. It's amazing to me. I couldn't do it but she is is specially wired and that match against Coco was was something else last night.
1: There's no breaks in the schedule. Even the clay court swing, there's like kind of down periods and it ebbs and flows a little bit. So you have just tournaments every week, even the week before a couple 250s now. So it is interesting to see how the players manage their schedule, take the temperature as you said. The heat in DC it's just been brutal all week in addition to the rain, the humidity. So managing the schedule is the is the big point. The San Jose tournament we're recording this on Friday morning right after Osaka and Coco Golf played. A two-set match that was straight sets for Coco, but Naomi did show a lot down 5-1, saving seven match points. Realistically speaking, I think this is, two, this is a good result for Naomi in the sense that Blair, I mean, she's going to have to play a lot of tennis. to Like, you can't get great at tennis without playing tennis. So the fact that she's able to come back, play well, show some fight in some down moments where she could have basically checked out and taken that exit stage left. I think it's a good sign for her because Coco is a bona fide top 10 player. And the expectations for me being that it's going to come with time in terms of getting your a game back. It's, it's hard to just waltz back into elite level tennis.
3: I was, I I was thinking about this the other day and thought it was just so ironic. I I listened to her post-match interview Naomi's after beating uh, Zhang Jinwen and and she was talking about her dad and looking at her dad and talking about how great it was to be back with him and was just beaming and there was a joy there that we want to see with Naomi but haven't always seen and how ironic is it so often we're like, hmm, Having the parent as the coach, that is a terrible idea. And now Naomi has sort of come full circle. She's back with her dad. And we're all like, this seems like the greatest thing ever, (laughs) right?
1: Yeah. I I think with Naomi, the big thing is enjoying the process, enjoying tennis. When she's having fun out there, her apex is still arguably the best in women's tennis. There's been some stuff that's happened in the last year that the love of the game has been questioned. I don't want to say it's gone, but it has been questioned. So if she's enjoying herself out there and she's committed to a reasonably full schedule with the way the landscape is for women's tennis, I think she's going to be a factor very soon.
3: I happen to have this quote in front of me because I retweeted it this morning from my friend Courtney Nguyen of WTA Insider Fame, but Osaka Naomi was talking about saving seven match points. And she said, quote, when I was playing, I realized I've been letting people call me mentally weak for so long that I forgot who I was. I lost today, but I feel really confident in who I am. I feel like the pressure doesn't beat me. I am the pressure. I'm really (laughs) happy with that. And I just thought that that was a mic drop quote and also a quote that should strike fear into the hearts of all potential (laughs) opponents from here on out. It's certainly for the heart hard courts playing
1: it should uh the, and the only thing being like you were saying with other like you're, you're as good as your last match so let's see keep playing keep building on it but i'm with you i think that if this keeps going she'll be just fine and back and it's good to see her out there for coco i mean this is this is somebody that's played a lot of high quality tennis this year it keeps the keeps getting better and i actually think in a weird way how she managed herself after squandering all those match point chances shows a lot about where she's come because not just her, but a lot of players would have unraveled there having squandered seven match points. We've seen it time and time again, but she kept her head in it and was able to serve it out.
3: I mean, the word maturity is so often used uh, in relation to Coco and it's true on the court, off the court. And what I like with Coco is that there is just a consistent upward trajectory she might have a misstep or a match where she's a little bit negative, but, you know, and same thing on her forehand. It's always been the talk. Well, her forehand can leak errors. It, previously, it was her serve that, that had some, some weak spots, but she has made adjustments on the serve. The forehand is becoming more and more solid. Her mental game on court has improved dramatically. I mean, I think back to Roland Garros, uh, not this year. The year before, so 2021,
0: yeah. and
3: she in that loss, I believe she lost to Krejčíková. I mean, there were, there were rackets being thrown. She was she looked on the verge of tears for a lot of that match. Uh, I just think she has come a long way in terms of progress in literally every portion of her game. So. One step at a time. Mm-hmm. I mean, she's going to be knocking on the door of, of the very top. I mean, she, she is already, but I know she wants to get just that yeah. little bit more.
1: There's a void right now in the women's game at the top. And Coco's showing all signs that she could be and she wants to be the one to assume not just top 10. Now we're talking top five. Now we're talking top three. The opportunity there. The game's there. And I agree. At, at her point in her career, her age, she's gotten progressively better There's no reason to think that the progress will slow down. It's an exciting time of year in terms of what to expect. And I think going into New York, she has got to be on the short list of players that you could easily see winning seven matches.
3: Yeah. She thrives on the crowd energy too. And side note, she looks like a star that new balance kit. I cannot get enough her own cg shoes the cg ones i mean it's just she checks every star box absolutely love that for her don't know what that's like but i I think
1: she's she's doing it
3: well she's doing it well
1: few more things with Blair Henley on Tennis Channel, Inside In. Uh, The rest of the the San Jose field, pretty exciting to say the least. Um, There's a big match coming up today with Shelby Rogers and Amanda Anisimova, two Americans that are playing some of their best tennis. Uh, Amanda Anisimova is looking like a top 10 player, and she's really, this is the the breakthrough year that we've all kind of expected from her in terms of consistency, starting with Mm -hmm. beating Naomi in Australia. But Blair, she's backed it up every step of the way, and she is consistently proving that it's not a fluke week in week out. I I think that she's someone that having her best year consistently by a mile, but is also showing that she's got weapons that a lot of these ladies on the WTA don't have.
3: She has the capability to hit people off the court, which as we saw from Elena Rabakina, if you can take the racket out of the opponent's hand, that can work out very well for you if everything happens to come together over the course of uh, five, six, seven matches, but I I think the symmetry is interesting. Mitch, she's ranked 22 right now, and when you look back to just before the 2019 U.S. Open, where she it was just so horribly sad, ended up pulling out because her her father tragically passed away. She was ranked 21 at the time, and I we all thought you know she I mean at the time people were thinking she could have won you know, gone in and in a dark horse to win the U S open. And uh, obviously her dad was her coach. And so that, that may even affect you on, on a more significant level in terms of your profession being tennis. Um, And she said she's grown a lot and here we are back at 22 in the world, heading into the U S open. And I, I just hope for the best for her because I cannot imagine how brutal, that must have been to, to get back on her feet in the sport where her dad had been alongside of her since she was the since she could pick up a racket. Um, so, yeah. yes, in the grand scheme, love her game, but also sort of love to see the full circle resurgence.
1: Yeah, 2019, she was a French Open semifinalist and was trending up, and then, you know, wife hit unexpectedly. But to get back where she is, still super young, uh, an opportunity there. And I've always maintained that. I haven't spent nearly as much time on the tournament grounds as you have. She was one of the best. If you just watch practice players, how they hit, it's strikingly good. Like, it's the, the ball striking is clean, and she's always been at the top of the list. So props to her. I, I brought up Shelby Rogers as well. She's gotten in the best shape of her life, and it's it's showing results on the court, and that match should be fun today. Uh, Shelby beat in her early-round matchup Bianca Andrescu, which, unfortunately— you know, for us as tennis fans, isn't quite at the level fitness wise with some injuries that she's had to get back on track. And I'm worried because like a lot of people, I want to see her play more, but this has been a reoccurring thing at tournaments. So I wonder how she manages her body and her health going forward.
3: Uh, some people are just unlucky. And Andrescu, when it comes to the injuries, there's, there's a little bit of Delpo. Mm in in her trajectory and that is just such a bummer and i don't think it's anything that that she's doing i mean she's she seems to be putting in the work um training with some of the best and sometimes certain bodies just Mm -hmm. don't care as well on tour it's it's brutal out there and some bodies adjust better than others and and i it's just such a bummer for her and hopefully that's not just not to write off the rest of the hard court swing Uh, she could come out and and play great tennis in the next few weeks, but it is concerning for sure.
1: Yeah. We just want to see her out on the court. If there's any tweaks to her game to style play to to mitigate some of these injuries, we're sure she'll try it. But yeah, just unfortunate heading into her home tournament, which she's won before the Canadian open next week. Uh, Another name I wanted to just bring up as well, playing great tennis, but also doing great things. uh, Daria Kazekina playing great tennis has beaten a lot of top players is into the quarterfinals of San Jose big match with Sablanca today, you know, also publicly came out, which has to be, you know, it's props to her for a lot of reasons, but for doing it in the climate, she's in in Russia has to be carrying a lot on her plate, but also still playing good tennis and still being, you know, a top 10 in the year end points race of the WTA. So she's backing it up as well. Uh, Kazakina is somebody that I do think where people kind of forgot about, and still is a threat to just about anyone on the WTA tour.
3: Mm -hmm. She, I was at the WTA finals in 20, I am the worst with years, Mitch, something you (laughs) should know about me, when I'm like 20 something, (laughs) Something no, was it 2018? That, that is correct. Okay. She was an alternate for the WTA finals. Uh, and so yes, to your point, she has shown over the years that she is capable of, of beating the absolute best in the world and, and doing it in a creative fashion that you, a game style you might not see every day, which I personally love. Um, so to see her doing that more consistently makes me very, very happy. And yeah, it's interesting. It makes me wonder, You, you I think you used the phrase, she's caring a lot. I wonder if maybe she feels like she's carrying less now um, in some ways. I, a huge props to her, as you said, for for going public with something that can have massive repercussions in Russia. Um, but I hope that she's feeling lighter after yeah. that. Um, and so maybe that can sort of counteract the criticism I'm sure she's received. I hope she's also, it seems like she's also received a lot of love, but it's a little bit different I think when you know you you saw in that piece where where she talked about like maybe not being able to go home mm, yeah. and just you know bursting into tears and breaking down and so there's there's a heaviness maybe beyond what what we would normally consider but awesome for her and and for not being afraid to say what was on her mind and say it to a journalist that's yeah. something we don't see very often that's it's one of a couple of russian journalists who seem to really have yeah. gotten The trust of the players and it was nice i think the way that that whole thing was was handled
1: well her record against the top 10 is unreal good well so i think that that's the part where i've always been impressed by her is maybe even a little curious like like she raises her level against the top players and we're glad to see her on the mix and i guess i guess the last thing i'll ask you as we we end is with this we're going into the run of the u.s open and both sides have some uncertainty. The, the Canadian Open is not going to have any member of the big three. Uh, there's the Russian players back trying to gain their momentum on the women's side. We are still trying to figure out the pecking order. There's a lot of threats going into all these tournaments. So how do you see, you know, this shaking out the momentum building and, and starting with Canada, do you see there being a path to some players kind of separating themselves from the field and uh, assuming some top positions here?
3: Where I'm sitting right now, No. I I think whoever wins D.C. is whoever wins San Jose is whoever wins Toronto. And I think it could be someone different in every spot. Is that the
1: the Rafa quote?
3: (laughs) Yeah, exactly. And here we are. We are at the U.S. Open. Um, No, I I just, I don't think there's necessarily going to be any more clarity going into the the day before the U.S. Open starts than we have right now. Um, And I think we've seen, too, that, Playing with some wind behind your back. So even if they're, they're obviously confidence is a great thing, Um, but with that usually comes some pressure. And there are a lot of, in particular before a slam, in particular, even maybe before the U.S. Open, there's so much pre-tournament press. And when you've had a good lead up and everybody is saying to you, well, you had a great, you know, Canadian open, you had a, had a great, uh, Cincinnati. I think that it's really easy to have having to talk about that's, it a lot is not, is not the easiest thing And in, in my,
1: that's so true because you yeah. look at, you look at, I mean, the men's side showed some, I mean, comparative to the other majors, some opening up a little bit, but the women's side, I mean, we've seen so many first time major champions in the last five, seven years. It's been ridiculous. Radha you Sloan Stevens, and Drescu. Naomi won her first major here. So I do think that, yeah, going into it, it's almost better to be lurking and, like, just to survive the first week, give yourself a chance to get into the round of 16, and then things could happen. It's so true. I, I don't want to just completely, you know, gloss over momentum. I don't think it's necessary that you play your best tennis and even win or come close to winning some of these tournaments, but I do think getting reps in, getting matches in, winning a couple rounds does help you. Radha Kanyu played, played a 125 last year, had the Wimbledon run. I know it wasn't much on the hard courts, but Sloan's year, she had done well going into the U.S. Open. She won. Andrescu won the won the Rodgers Cup at the time, now the Canadian Open. So I think it's it's good in a sense to get some match play, show some signs. But, yeah, going into the tournament, we're going to be like, well, we'll see what happens because the yeah. fields are deep. <laughs>
3: <laughs> yes that's that's setting myself up yeah. when people ask me like so who's your pick for the u.s open champion and i'll be like i have absolutely no idea i'm gonna pick a dark horse though because nobody will remember it if i say rafa nadal is going to win but if i pick you know yoshihito nishioka yeah people are gonna be like blair called that that's pretty amazing she must know a lot about tennis
1: <laughs> yeah, it's and you know, last year as we as we just kind of wrap up here, you know, Canadian Open was run by Medvedev on the men's side and Camilla Giorgi on the women's side. So you you can go across the board and say there's been some strange masters winners across here or like that's the beauty of sports and not knowing, sometimes it was a future star in the making. We just had no idea how good that they could possibly be. So I'm I'm curious to see where this goes. This is the final, you know, major, major run of the season. So we like to think and we're seeing that players have gotten themselves in their best shape, best form, given themselves all the potential in the world to just play their best for a lot of these Americans, especially their home slam. So I think anything can happen here. And that's why we're glued to our TVs literally every day until mid-September.
3: I cannot wait. I love that there are so many Americans in the mix. I think that's particularly fun heading into the U.S. Open because – Although the the American crowd has been occasionally criticized for not appropriately getting behind the home players, there is still an element of buzz when an American player gets on the court. And that is a special thing to be a part of.
1: Certainly is. Uh, Blair Henley, uh, appreciate you coming on. Where can we find you next? Is it Cincinnati? Is that the next stop?
3: (laughs) I'll be in Cincy. Okay. Yep. So I will. I'm gonna do my best to keep the social game strong. Okay. So hopefully I'll have some hashtag content for you.
1: Good to know. Good to good to monitor that. I'll put that in my uh, my checklist there. Um, <laughs> we also want to see just the, the last thing. We want to see the side by side with uh, Matt Ebden and J.J. Wolf, who's playing pretty good now in uh, in the City Open. So I want the mullet mullet feature. So I'll just add that to the. Oh list. my
3: gosh. Yes. Well, we yes Max Purcell. I I feel like. I don't know. I hope. I just hope he doesn't get any ideas. Mm-hmm. Okay. And about cutting off the mullet because JJ has cut off the mullet and is now doing very well.
1: Yeah, yeah. I mean, it, this is a breakthrough tournament into the top 100. I think the mullet got him here, so I don't think it was just. You know, <laughs> that's true. That's what it you can't was.
3: forget. Can't forget the mullet's place in history. Great point, Mitch.
1: Laura Henley, thank you so much for uh, again joining Tennis Channel Inside In.
3: Always a pleasure. Thanks, Mitch.
1: That's it for this week's episode of Tennis Channel Inside In. Thank you to Mark Petchi and Blair Henley for being A-plus guests. A reminder that you can catch the entire catalog of this and our other shows on the Tennis Channel Podcast Network. Just go to tennis.com slash podcast. We are streaming on all your podcast platforms. Next week, more content to discuss, the Canadian Open. We'll recap this week, talk about the events in Toronto and Montreal, respectively. And we'll lead you on the road to the U.S. Open. There's a lot of tennis between then and now. Can't wait to break all of it down with our plethora of guests. For Blair Henley and Mark Petchy, my name is Mitch Michaels. This was Tennis Channel Inside In. Thank you for listening. I'll talk to you next week.